Hey guys, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend, a podcast about mental health and astrology. Have you guys ever had a bad day or felt so anxious to the point where you are struggling to find yourself in this vast society we call life? Not to worry, guys. I have felt this way too. The podcast interviews guests from college students to parents and even experts that talk about their journey to where they are in the present moment. So sit back and relax and remember that you are not alone. Without further ado, let's get started with today's podcast. Have you guys heard about Anchor by Spotify as being the easiest way to make a podcast? Let me explain. It's free. Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Best of all, when even hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, like I said before, Anchor is totally free. So pick up your phones, laptops, or whatever you use and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I hope to hear your podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode talks about the story of Dr. Andrew Ward. Dr. Ward earned his PhD in clinical psychology, and Dr. Ward promotes positivity and self-acceptance to his clients. For our conversation, you're going to hear a lot about Dr. Ward's journey into the present moment, while we also discuss men's mental health and mental health in general. You can check out Andrew Ward's podcast and all of his work by clicking in the links in the show description. And like always, guys, before you guys tune in, please like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Your ratings and subscriptions will help boost the podcast overall. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Ward. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend. I am your host, Josh Sanchez, and I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. Ward. Doc Ward, what's going on and how are you feeling today? Doing great. Good weather. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, so Dr. Ward, I, I will say uh, before we really get into our interview and stuff and, and our podcast, I really just wanted to say thank you for coming on and reaching out. And and I know that you're a clinical psychologist, which leads me right to like my first question. Um, how like what really like got you into that field and what are some passions that you have? Well, what got me into the field? I am. Um... After high school, I didn't go right to college. I took about a year and two years off and just worked. Actually, I wasn't planning on going to college at all. I was working in a factory, ended up working construction for a while. Um, eventually, a lot of the people who I kind of hung out with, grew up with, a lot of them started getting in trouble with the law and having problems like that. And I started kind of looking around and realizing maybe this wasn't the best place for me to stay. So at that point, I decided to go to school, go to college. I started studying religion and philosophy, actually. Um, did that for about two years. And then I had a sort of an unusual experience. Uh, one of my 
advisors got hurt and she had to take a sabbatical or some, something like that. But in her place, they assigned a, a temporary guy who was getting his doctorate in psychology um, from a, excuse me, from a different university. And he um, started asking me about my degree and what I was doing, those sort of things. And as we started talking about, it became really clear to me that I did not want to get a career in uh, philosophy and religion, that uh, I probably wasn't going to work in a church. And at that point, he was saying, you know, to do anything as far as professionally with that kind of degree, you're going to have to go get, you know, a, at least a master's, if not a doctorate in theology to be able to really sort of teach and do those sort of things. And so at that point, we started sort of talking about my interests and things that I had been doing. At that point, I had volunteered for a long time with youth um, organizations, had tutored, did Big Brothers. And so it just sort of kind of seemed like a natural kind of transition from that into uh, doing mental health stuff, doing counseling. When I started, most of my early um, studies were focused on youth and children, and that's really where I kind of intended to be. And then eventually, um, when I got out of graduate school, I had an opportunity to work in a federal prison. I did that for a while and and then started a private practice and here we are. Well, Andrew, I will say uh, you, you definitely have like explained a lot. You know, you, you were in undergrad, you're studying like religion and stuff. And then you meet a clinical psychologist and then things change. You know, you work in a prison. Um, tell me a little bit about like that work in prison. How long did you work in, in the prison and, and how do you feel about like the overall mental health resources in prisons? <clears throat> Well, I think it's a very different, fo differently focused mental health uh, program in a prison, meaning that I don't think I did any um, sort of long term individual therapy. Um, everything is sort of crisis oriented. But I was in the federal prison for about 12 years. Um, first couple of years, I was just I did general psychology. I did a lot of intakes. I did a lot of crisis intervention. And then I took over. I directed the program. I did, was a program coordinator for a drug treatment program in the prison. Um, I did that for about three years and they asked me to create a new program. So I created a new program for sex offenders and I did that for about three or four years. Um, it was different. You know, it was a lot of um, one thing I think that when you're working with that many people, I think the prison I was at had close to 2000 people in it. And when you interact with that many people for a long period of time, you get really good at sort of understanding people just in general. Um, not just criminal people, but just people kind of how people are, how they act and a, as I worked in my private practice, it really starts, it transitions really well. Meaning that I see, you know, one thing I tell people a lot is to me, the difference between the problems I see in my private practice and the problems I see in my prison aren't the problems, it's the severity of the problems, right? And so a guy might come into the private practice saying his wife's upset because he hasn't spent enough time with the kids. Uh, a guy in prison might be there with five kids and doesn't spend time with any of them ever, right? And so it's the same problem. It's just a very different degree to which, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely does make sense, Dr. Ward, because um, like like, it's just, like I know you mentioned a lot about like the crisis intervention and it's like similar problems, but it's like more like extremes. Like you said, like in the prison, someone would have five kids that they don't really see. Like the concept is, is very similar, you know, like you got to like spend more time with like your child, like your like your children and you're trying to provide resources and trying to help them get through that process. It's just it's five versus one in your private practice. That That's what right, I was right, getting right. at when it comes to like your answer and stuff. Um, but that leads me right to my next question, because I know we talked a little bit about it before we like recorded like our podcast. Like, how do you feel about like the resources overall? in like federal prisons and also just like males mental health in general like what do you think there needs to be more of 
You know what? If you if you ask me, uh, <clears throat> having worked with men for as long as I did, I think one of the biggest things it was not necessarily um, the treatment things. Um, the sex offender program had a um, it was about nine or ten months long, and it started. It was, did different little phases, and the first part was really just kind of about. Um, teaching really basic sort of expectations about what a relationship should be and like what you would want in a relationship and why you would even get into a relationship and how to communicate just real basic sort of stuff. And to me, that was probably the most uh, important class that any of the inmates took actually, because probably more times than I can count, I had people come to me and say, you know, if I had heard this when I was 12 or 13, I don't know if I'd be in prison right now. Um, cause it's just stuff we aren't taught. We aren't taught how to be in a relationship. You know, one thing I used to uh, say a lot is that, you know, ask the average man, how many, uh, books on relationships they've read. And they'll say, you know, maybe one, if you're lucky, maybe one, maybe two, um, ask the average man, how many hours they've spent watching pornography and you're going to get a much, much larger number. Right. And so I think that a lot of men get very, very much uh, influenced by sort of pornography and things we see. And I don't have a problem with that by itself. I just think in a vacuum, it can be send some very different messages. Yeah, I, I completely agree, uh, Doc Ward, because, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's honestly a really great question. Like, how many books have you actually read about relationships? Like, as I was hearing your answer, I was like, dang, like, that really makes sense. I know for me, like, I've read a couple books, um, but... And when it comes to like watching pornography, a lot of males and a lot of people in general just, you know, like watch pornography because it's it's easy. It's accessible. You know, you can just search it online. And when it comes to, like you said, like the basic like conversations about relationships and setting boundaries and being able to communicate your feelings properly, like these are all things like you said, Doc Ward, that a lot of men in particular are just not really taught. Which leads, which leads me right to my next question. Like, why do you think there has been like a lack of education? Because I know you've had a lot of experience working with men and and now you're in your own private practice, really helping out people in general. Like, why do you think that like, why do you think it is like, why do you think it is like that? Like, why do you feel like men are not really educated enough when it comes to relationships? Um. I think probably historically, probably truthfully, is that I think for a long time, men just shunned therapy in general. And so it was not seen as something that um, men were interested in. Even now, I still run into guys where they'll say, like, I don't believe in therapy or they'll say things like, uh, I never thought therapy would work. I never even gave it a chance until my dad died and I had to talk to somebody like really serious stuff brings them into therapy. And I think part of it is I think that men generally have kind of kept therapy at arm's length, um, at least with previous generations. I think it's definitely changing now. I think my generation, I'm 47. I think my generation and younger, I think they're really starting to sort of understand why mental health is important, why these things are important. But before that, I think, I think men probably rejected a lot of it. And so I don't think much attention was given to trying to drag them along, basically. Um, kind of that whole macho thing. And even, you know, um, <clears throat> Yeah, because even one thing, you know, one thing is going back to the pornography. When I talk to guys, really, you'd be surprised how many people don't realize that pornography is not real. Like not actually, not real, that it's not even based on reality. Like there's no part of it that's real. Um, you'd be really surprised how many men don't even understand that very basic concept that like, this is a fantasy thing. This isn't true. You don't walk into the laundromat and have sex with six women all of a sudden. It doesn't happen in real life. Like they don't understand that. And so... I think part of it has been men rejecting 
treatment. I just think that as a result, they've just looked at other places, quite honestly. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and definitely through like my experience, I've definitely talked to like a lot of peers, friends, family, especially in America in general, like Westernized culture, like when, when we talk about like emotions and stuff, it's really not, like you said, it's not really like talked about a lot. A lot of it is like about financial growth and, and especially when it comes to like masculinity, you know, being like the biggest, fastest, strongest, you know, and when it comes to like talking about like anxieties and talking about like what's going on, like our feelings and stuff, it kind of like from a society standpoint, it are men that have done that have been often like seen as like weak and and not strong when in reality like when you do talk about your emotions and you you are talking about like your anxieties and and you're learning more about relationships you are growing within yourself and i think that like you said like your generation definitely really started that trend and now as we're as the younger generations are now growing now like they're realizing that there is this cry for men's mental health and mental health in general to to really just open ourselves up so that way we're able to grow as people. Um, but just continuing our conversation, Doc Ward. Um, but if you may jump in on that, because one thing oh, yeah. I can say, you know, when you talk about emotions, um, you know, one thing that I say a lot is that to me, I think anger is probably the most or probably the only acceptable emotion most men feel like they can express. And I think in our society, I think it's probably the most acceptable emotion for a man to express. And if you think about it, you know, if you walk in a room and you see two guys, you know, you got to see a guy yelling and smacking the wall, it's going to be weird, but it's not going to be that weird. It's not going to be as weird as if you walk in a room and you see a guy sitting with his hands and his hands crying, you know, you're going to be much more put off by a guy crying than you are by a guy yelling. Um, and so I think that anger has been like the emotion that I think the only emotion that men sort of have any kind of connection to, I think it's really sort of detrimental. One thing I do a lot with my clients is trying to ask them, you know, to me, anger is sort of the tip of the iceberg, but the real emotion is what's underneath the water. Right. And so it's not, um, you know, people say, if you say what's wrong with you, say I'm angry, but if you really ask them and say, well, you know, I'm disappointed. And so I got angry or I felt disrespected and I got angry and trying to help them understand that there's more than just anger. There's sadness. There's all these other emotions that then lead to anger. Um, but I'd say, you know, societally, I think anger is the one that we're allowed to express the most freely in a weird way. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, Just as I'm just like remembering like moments in in like my life, you know, because we all have our perspectives and stuff. There's been definitely moments where like that, that is like the first reaction with like a lot of men is just anger. Like and 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 the thing is, I, I know with myself, there was times where like I remember, you know, like teenagers stuff, your hormones are raising, you know, and like sometimes I would just be angry. And then, like you said, like, what's like the real emotion behind that? So as I was hearing you like describe that, I was just like, yeah, like this is really just like really thinking back to like perspectives and stuff like like, damn, like it, it definitely makes sense. Like from a society standpoint, like for men being angry is socially accepted and the other forms of like sadness and and like just being like upset and stuff like that really kind of society wise it definitely has not been the trend like when you see a male sad you don't really ask but if they're angry you know you're like oh like what are you angry about so i can def i can definitely agree with your point uh doc i think it's definitely migrated too like i think it's not even just men anymore because you look sort of at our society as a whole if you were to ask me sort of one word that kind of captures everything. I'd say angry right now. Like people are just angry. Um, 
I don't even think most people understand or even know why they're angry. I think, but if you look sort of around, you know, listen to the way people talk to each other. The other day I was in the airport, the way people treat each other. People are just rude. They're just angry. They're just upset. They're frustrated with life, but they couldn't really tell you why. That's sort of, people are just, they're just angry. And it's, and part of, I think, you know, I think our challenge as therapists is to help people get past that initial emotion, which is, yeah, you're angry, but what else is there? Because that what else part is what we can actually work with, right? If I come to you and I say, you know, you really pissed me off. There's really not much further we're going to get in that conversation because you're either going to say, I'm sorry, or you're going to say, go to hell. It's going to be one of those two things. Um, and so we're not going to get very far into discussing why I made you angry but or why you made me angry. <clears throat> but if I come to you and I said, you know, what you said the other day was really, I felt really disrespected. I felt really sad. We can actually have a conversation about that, right? Like why I felt sad, what it was you did, what it... And, and most people can actually have that conversation. The problem is with that anger one, like I said, you're either going to get a, you know, I'm sorry, or I go to hell. It doesn't really, there's not much more beyond that. Yeah, definitely, Doc Ward. And and just like continuing to our, our conversation, like my next question, uh, just based off of that. So let's say like you have a client, you know, that's coming in and they have like that anger and stuff, or they're really struggling with like processing like themselves emotionally and stuff. What's some advice that you would give to that person to really like overcome that and grow from that? Well, you know, one of the things, cause I do, a, uh, I don't specialize in them, but I see a lot of men. And in my practice, when we have men, they tend to kind of get sent my direction. Um, there are kind of two things I talk to you. Cause so a lot of times when men come in, um, I would say probably at least 50% of the time, maybe more um, right on kind of the referral question, it'll say anger issues. Um, and it's usually things like the guy is yelling, you know, kind of being grumpy at home or being uh, argumentative at work. And it's sort of probably as kind of fine grass to progress to a point that people are saying, you know, you need to go get some help or whatever. And the person comes in and they say, you know, I have an anger issue and they don't really know much more beyond that. And I sort of start with kind of two very, very basic things. The one thing is the one thing I just told you about the emotions, what's behind the surface, what's under the surface. And then the other thing I talk to them a lot about is, you know, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it needs to necessitate an action, right? And one thing I talk a lot about, especially because a lot of times when guys are, you know, when I have, have these anger issues, they usually center at home or they center on their kids or their wife or something like that. And one of the things I'll ask them is, you know, would you, would you act the way, the way you're acting at home, would you act that way at work? Would you talk to coworkers the way you speak to your wife? Would you do those sort of things? Because everyone's allowed to have feelings, but the way you express them, that needs to be managed a little differently. And so I really talked to him about, you know, looking at the emotion underneath the surface, but then also just because you're angry doesn't mean it gives you carte blanche to act however you want to act. You still have some responsibilities to maintain yourself, you know, carry yourself in certain ways. Um, Cause you know, one of the funny things is if I talk to a guy and I say, you know, would you ever say this at work? They say, no. And I say, why not? And they go, well, if I said that at work, I'd lose my job. And I go, okay, so you're more afraid of losing your job than you are of losing your wife. Is that where we're at? Because a lot of times people think because I'm feeling a certain way, that gives me permission to act a certain way. And it really helping them understand that there's two different things. There's how you feel and there's how you act. And those two things should be very separate, especially when it comes to an issue like this. Yeah, yeah, Doc Ward, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, and, and that's a really good point. Like how you think versus how you act are two different things. And and wow, like when you said like, I mean, they're more afraid of losing their job, you know, than losing their wife, you know, because based off the way how they talk to their like their wives and stuff, I was just like, 
I was like, I, I like froze for a second. I was like, dang, like that, that's a really good like way to think about it. Um, and, th- and it leads me right to my next question. So I know we all know like relationships are very important. And so far, like I've really enjoyed our conversation about like mental health and stuff. Um, when it comes to like relationships in general, why do you think a lot of relationships tend to fail? Um, well, depends on who you ask, right? Because you ask most, I see a lot of couples, actually. I see a lot of couples. I would say probably most of what they say when I say, you know, what brings you in here? They almost always say communication, almost always. And what they mean by that is, is we don't, we don't know how to speak to each other anymore. All we do is we, you know, as soon as we have a conversation, we start fighting and they think it's about communication. But to me, it very rarely is um, because, you know, I see fairly high functioning people, you know, the professionals, you know, the doctors, they're uh, people who work in offices have professional type jobs, you know, right. People who spend their days communicating with other people. And one thing I sort of point out is, you know, if you have a job where you communicate and you're doing it well, then you probably didn't lose the ability to talk when you came home. So it's probably that you, it's probably not that you don't know how to communicate. It's that there's something that's interfering with you guys communicate. And so you know, really helping couples understand what goes on in the relationship. Cause to me, it's usually, you know, if we really, when we really peel back relationships, when we finally get to it, it's usually some minor hurt or a, or a medium hurt. It's usually not a major, it's usually not a major infraction. It's usually not, they got caught cheating and stuff like that. It's usually somebody said something rude or somebody said something disrespectful, or we were going to a family reunion and you didn't want to go, or I wanted to went to a funeral and you made me go by myself. And it's some issue like that that sort of gets left unresolved. And over time, it just picks up a little bit of steam and gets a little bit of uh, energy behind it. And then it becomes the sort of thing where, you know, the husband says, hey, you know, I was thinking I wanted to go to my mom's for um, Easter. And the wife's going, well, I'm not going to your freaking mom's. You wouldn't even go to a funeral with me. But she doesn't say it. And so then it ends up this big fight and then she ends up going. And so I would say part of it to me is that, you know, I'd say the biggest thing is um, leaving issues un- unaddressed. And so it's not that people don't have the ability to talk about it. They just don't. They don't communicate about the issues. Uh, one thing I say a lot to my clients is that most relationships don't die from a single blow. They die a death of a thousand cuts. Right. Meaning that it's not like I said, it's not usually usually it's not that one person got caught cheating. It's usually that over the course of five or six years, you said this mean thing. And so I said this mean thing and you said this rude thing. So I did this rude thing. And then after five or six years of that, the relationship's just bleeding out from like all these little minor cuts over the years. And so the goal is, is that don't let those things stay open. Don't let them bleed. Right. Like when you have a minor issue, suck it up and address it, stick it out. Don't, don't uh, resort to the fuck you and just in the conversation because it just leaves it open. And so I would say the biggest thing to me is people not uh, addressing issues as they arise. And I think the other thing too, and it's really important is not even understanding why they got into a relationship to begin with. Um, like, what are we even doing here? Because to me, I don't care why you get in a relationship. I don't care if you're in love. I don't care if it's for money. I don't care if it's because somebody arranged a marriage. To me, those things don't really matter to me. So long as both people are on the same page about what we're doing. Right. So if, you know, if we're married because you needed a green card and you know that and I know that that's cool. So long as you're not expecting me to do things like bring you flowers and do all these romantic things, because we didn't get married because of romance. We got married because of you needed something necessity. Right. And I think a lot of times people don't they're not really clear about why they're even in a relationship. 
And so I'll say something to the man, like, why are you in a relationship? And he'll say, oh, you know, she was fun. And I'll say to the wife, why are you in a relationship? Because I want somebody who supports me. And those are two completely different things. And so I think part of it is people being really clear about why they're even in a relationship. What, what are we doing? What are we doing in a relationship? And why are we in this relationship together? What are we going to provide for each other? Yeah, Doc, what I will say, that's a very like great and solid point like even before like you're in the relationship really like setting those expectations for you for each other so that way you guys are on the same page and like you said a lot of relationships people just jump into it without like you know like like you said like one person's intentions can be completely different from the other person's intentions and then over time like you said like it's just small cuts like you're disagreeing over this and not talking about it and it just builds up and builds up like a huge snowball and then all of a sudden it just cracks crashes down. So I really think um, your answer, Doc Ward, was really spot on and, and it really gave like some great insight into why relationships don't really don't really work and function. Um, but just continuing our like our conversation with relationships in general, I know we talked a lot about people in general, um, but I always ask my guests that come on this uh, this question about relationships. Um, it's about turnoffs and stuff. So let's say you're on a first date, uh, Doc Ward, and and the person you're on a date with does blank like what are some turnoffs that would happen in a first date where you would not have a second date with the second person um as you think about it um for me like i used to have like a little test where because music is very big for me um so i would oh i would hand my my date like the aux chord and depending on what they played was like my little test if they played bad music i would be like all right uh it's not gonna work out um but for you doc ward do you have like any like tests or any turnoffs where you would not have a second date with a person um, I think politics would be a big one for me. I think that um, I would have a hard time uh, looking past somebody whose politics were very different from mine. Not that they're, you know, not that we can't sort of have some differences, but if we're sort of on completely different sides of the fence, uh, I think that would be a hard one for me, for sure. It's funny you mentioned second dates, because one of the things I talk a lot about to couples about is... Um, what things meet the second date criteria, what things are first date uh, things and criteria and, and second date criteria is because, um, you know, a lot of times people will say things like, well, I'm in this relationship because he, because uh, he's nice or because he, he, he says nice things to me. And to me, I always say that's just second date material there. If somebody wasn't nice to me, I wouldn't go on a second date with them. Right. If somebody was disrespectful on the first date, there wouldn't be a second date. And so those things to me are, just things that get us to the second date. They're not things that mean we should be getting married yet. They mean, they're things that just get us to the next step, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and that's a really good point. Like you have first date stuff and then you have second date stuff. Um, for, for you, for you, uh, like doc Ward, like what are some like second date stuff for you? Well, I've been married for a while, but I, one thing I would say is that I think it goes to me that the second date stuff, I think really goes into why we're in a relationship. Right. Because, you know, if we're in a relationship to support each other, the fact that we can have a good time together is important, but it's not the most important thing because, you know, I can talk to a lot of people. I've a good time with a lot of people, but it doesn't mean I can get support from a lot of people. Right. And so to me, I think that second date really depends on kind of what it is you want in a relationship, because, you know, to me. You know, I've been with my wife for almost 20 years. And if you ask me sort of why I'm with my wife, I'd say because I know I have one person who has my back. Um, no matter what, um, we might not always get along. She might not always agree with me, but once our front door opens, we lock arms and it's her and I versus the world. 
Um, and I, to me, that's what I want in a relationship. And so for me, the second date stuff is all going to be related to stuff like that. Can I trust the person? Uh, do they seem like somebody who actually cares about other people? Um, do they seem like the type of person who's going to want support? Because as weird as that sounds, someone's not going to be very willing to give support if they're not somebody who needs support. Right. And so like all those sort of things to me are more second date stuff. Yeah, definitely, Doc Ward. And and I will say that's that's also another spot on answer and power to you for being married for 20 years. I know marriage is a is a lot of work. You know, a lot of people are putting in and, and a lot of relationships is a lot of work in general. So power to you for keep going and, and realizing all those things about your partner. Um, so just transition a little bit. I know we talked a lot about like relationships and we talked a lot about like mental health and, and like what clients you like really work with and your journey overall. And I've really enjoyed our conversation so far. You're, you're a great expert when it comes to this doc ward and I appreciate everything. Um, when it comes to astrology, uh, I always like to ask my guests that come on this cause I know with the podcast, we, I had a little bit of astrology element to it. Um, have you ever heard of like astrology? Like, how do you feel about astrology overall? Um, I don't know too much about it. I'll be honest with you. I do believe, um, I definitely believe in sort of personality differences and I believe in things that are related to, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know too much about it, but I definitely agree. I believe in sort of differences and stuff like that for sure. Oh yeah, of course. And I always like to tell people and, and guests that come on, you know, that are just trying to learn a little bit about astrology or a little bit interested in it. It's like another tool in the toolbox to help understand ourselves. So I know like talk therapy is a great toolbox tool in the toolbox with astrology. It's like a good little fun way to really just help understand yourself. Um, but for you, Doc Ward, um, and, and your chart a little bit, I was just going to explain just like this website. It's called thehoroscope.co. Um, it's a website in which like a bunch of women, they teamed up and they created like this little website where they give readings based off of like suns and moons and a little bit about your chart. Um, so if just for like a basic little basic little rundown, your sun sign, like when people ask like, oh, like what's like your your zodiac sign? That's like who you are to your core. And for you, Andrew, you are a Libra. Your moon sign is how you process and react to things emotionally. Um, so that's like, and pretty much what the chart is, it's like when you're born, these are how like the planets were aligned when you were born. Um, so for you, since you are a Libra sun, Aquarius moon, I'm going to give a little bit of a reading based off of the horoscope.co. And uh, just let me know how you feel about it once the reading is done. There's going to be some positives, negatives, and just like some advice and relationship advice. So just, it, it's a fun little, fun little reading. Yeah. Um, but for you, Doc Ward, so you're a Libra Sun, Aquarius Moon, it says an original personality, eccentric and motivated. The Libra Sun, Aquarius Moon personality will be at the forefront of changes in their personal and professional life. Positives for your Sun and Moon combination. Very generous, resilient and honest. Negatives can be indecisive at times, can be and a little bit grumpy. Perfect partner, someone who's attentive to their needs and word of advice for your sun and moon combination. They need to be more decisive, especially in private life. So as I give you like your little reading, some positives, negatives, advice and perfect partner, what are some thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, I think that sounds about accurate, actually, that, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't was aware of that was a Libra. And I know that that sort of comes with. Um, yeah, one thing they talk about that is sort of a need for equality, right? Um, that's sort of the um, the image of it, uh, right? The scale. Um, 
But I think it sounds about right, actually, because the uh, you know, I'm a pretty unique guy and pretty uh, driven guy. But I would say that the negatives probably hold pretty close to it. Um, I think there's probably a tendency to arrogance, a tendency to sometimes be indecisive. I think it's probably spot on. Yeah. And, and that's just like like you said, like I know you mentioned, like with Libra energy, it's like this need for like balance because uh, Libra, the, the, the sign, it's a balanced scale. So you have like like I said, like Libras, they really like they're very good mediators. They're very good at finding like equality. They like to understand everyone's perspective and where they come from. So like when you said balance, I was like, yeah, like that's a lot of like Libra energy. It's like that balance scale. And with that can lead to a little bit of like indecisiveness and stuff. So I definitely think overall and stuff that was and I'm glad that you really thought it was it was spot on. And if you want to know more links, I can once we're done recording, I can send you more links and I'll let, I'll let you give a more like in-depth reading and stuff. Um, but the last part of the chart that I really like to talk about, and I think this is one of the coolest parts of the chart, is like the north node and south node. So pretty much what it is, is your south node is if you believe in like past past lives and stuff, your south node is like mistakes your past lives have made. And your north node is what you're supposed to learn in this lifetime that your that your past lives did not learn. And for yours, uh, Doctor Ward, uh, your north node is in Gemini. So to find your south node, it's like the opposite sign of Gemini. So for you, it's it's Sagittarius. So your south node is in Sagittarius. So in past so in past lives, Sagittariuses are very like they like to travel a lot they're very like they really like to learn a lot of information but when it comes to like really like expressing that information that was kind of like locked in a box um whereas with gemini's like you're supposed to with the information you learn you're supposed to put yourself out there you know you're supposed to be social and you're supposed to interact with a lot of people in this lifetime um so as i was hearing like you, you like you describe like all the clients that you've worked with all the people that you've connected with you're in this lifetime you're meant to take what you have learned in your past lives and teach that and put yourself out there with with like your local community and and the community in general and the people that you surround yourself with um, so I just wanted to highlight that a little bit, too, as just like a quick little and I can also send you that link as well once we are done recording the podcast. But um, overall, how do you feel about like the North Node and stuff? Oh, I think it's, it's uh, kind of ties in. One thing I talk a lot about is, you know, to me, there are certain life lessons you have to learn. And if you don't learn them, you will keep making the same mistakes until you learn them. I think more in terms of sort of kind of this lifetime. But I also believe I definitely believe in reincarnation. I definitely believe in. If there are things in life you have to master before you kind of move on to the next thing. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, definitely. And and I will say, uh, Dr. Ward, I've really enjoyed our conversation overall. I know you've I know you've done like a podcast yeah. and you're getting a lot of work. Where can everybody check out everything you do? Uh, my podcast is called Into the Fix. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Into the Fix. Yep. And the links will all be in the show description as well. So, um, but I will say, Dr. Ward, I will say I really appreciated our, our conversation and please stay safe. All right. Thank you.